Are you ready to take your intermittent fasting lifestyle to the next level? There's nothing better than community to help with that. In the Delay Don't Deny community, we all embrace the clean fast, and there's just the right support for you as you live your intermittent fasting lifestyle. You can connect directly with me in the Ask Jen group, and I'll answer all of your questions personally. If you're new to intermittent fasting or recommitting to the intermittent fasting lifestyle, join the 28-Day Fast Start group. After your fast start, join us for support in the first-year group. Need tips for long-term maintenance? We have a place for that. There are many more useful spaces beyond these, and you can interact in as many as you like. Visit jenstevens.com community to join us. An annual membership costs just over a dollar a week when you do the math. If you aren't ready to fully commit for a year, join for a month, and you can cancel at any time. If you know you'll want to stay forever, we also have a lifetime membership option available. IF is free. You don't need to join our community to fast. But if you're looking for support from a community of like-minded intermittent fasters, we're here for you at jenstevens.com community. That's jenstevens.com community. Achieving my long-term goals is more about creating healthy habits and less about quick fixes. And that's why I love both intermittent fasting and daily harvest. Tim Spector, a gut health expert and founder of Zoe, and Dr. B, gastroenterologist and author of Fiber Fueled, recommend that you aim for at least 30 unique plant foods per week. Daily Harvest helps make it easy. One of my favorite options is the sweet potato and wild rice hash harvest bowl. With Daily Harvest, I'm getting tons of plant-based options built on organic fruits and vegetables that are easy to prep and free of weird ingredients such as fillers, seed oils, and added sugars. Create healthy habits that last with Daily Harvest. For a limited time only, go to dailyharvest.com ifstories to get $30 off your first box plus free shipping. That's dailyharvest.com ifstories for $30 off your first box and free shipping. Daily harvest.com slash is stories. Welcome to Intermittent Fasting Stories. I'm your host, Jen Stevens, author of the New York Times bestseller, Fast Feast Repeat, as well as the book that started it all, Delay Don't Deny. I lost over 80 pounds thanks to intermittent fasting after learning how to delay my eating rather than denying myself the delicious foods I want to eat. Now, Who's ready to hear an inspirational intermittent fasting story? That's why we're here. So let's get excited to talk to today's guest. Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 207 of Intermittent Fasting Stories. Today, I'm here with Kim. Kim lives in Indianapolis, and she is a PA, which we know better as a physician's assistant. So welcome, Kim. Thank you, Jen. It's so exciting to be here after listening to you and your other guests for so long. I love having all of you on, and I I guess it is kind of, you know, it's just me talking to people, and it just is what I do. But after listening to so many episodes, and then now it's your turn to tell your story. Yeah, it feels kind of surreal. I love it, but we're just having our morning coffee together. I've got my mug of black coffee right here. We'll just have our coffee chat, and then, oh, you know, thousands of people will hear it, but no big deal. (laughs) 
don't remind me of that. I'm already nervous. Well, don't be. It's just having a great chat about intermittent fasting, which is one of my favorite ways to spend the morning. So you know I like to start by asking, what brought you to intermittent fasting, and when was that? Yeah, so Jen, I'll give you the short answer first, and then I guess the long answer. So the short answer is that I came to IF for good on July of 2020 for a couple of different reasons. First of all, I wanted to get my weight under control. I had that middle age weight gain going on. And then second, I was really looking also to reduce inflammation because I have rheumatoid arthritis, which is a chronic autoimmune disease where your body basically attacks your own joints. So I was hoping to feel better from that standpoint too. And In my mind, before I got started, I thought that intermittent fasting was going to be really difficult to maintain long term. I viewed it as kind of a last ditch effort. And I thought that the only way I could possibly stick to something that was so difficult as fasting would be if I were getting both kinds of results I wanted, both the health benefits and the weight loss. But as you know as well, one of the nice surprises about intermittent fasting I think for most people who try it is how relatively easy it is compared to what I was thinking. I love that a lot because we do have it in our minds that it's going to be so difficult, but we're just like, well, it's going to be hard, but I really want to reduce my inflammation and I really want to lose the weight. So I'm willing to do this hard thing. But then we realize It's not as hard as many of the things we've done. You know, we had a very interesting conversation in our community the other day where somebody posted that they were like, well, I hear all these intermittent fasting stories. Everyone talks about how easy it is, but it's not easy for me. It's hard. And this was someone, of course, who was in the adjustment phase, which is the most difficult part. But we really had an interesting discussion about it. And it turns out that for the people who who like are like, oh, this is so easy. A lot of us had done so many diets in the past mm-hmm. and so many complicated things that in contrast to what we had tried, this felt really easy versus someone who had not ever done anything before, just to like eat and lived their life. Suddenly they're having to think about not eating. It was harder. Had you had a diet history? I'm like going down that rabbit hole that we started with our discussion the other day just to see. Yeah, I didn't have a ton of diet history because I was slim most of my adult life without putting too much effort into it. I used to be one of those annoying people actually who could eat almost anything and not gain, right. you know, significant weight. But I did try through the years as my weight crept up slowly, I did try uh, diets a number of times, enough to know how difficult it was, especially to stick with long term. So you had a little experience, you not decades of it, but enough to know that they were not easy to do. I mean, decades on and off. So okay. I think I gained weight like slowly and steadily, mostly through the decades. So I'm close to your age. I'm 50 years old now. And I know that in my 20s, I weighed usually in the 120s. And then in my 30s, I weighed somewhere usually in the 130s. In my 40s, I usually weighed somewhere in the 140s. So it was just kind of a slow, steady gain of probably a pound a year on average, not counting like, you know, pregnancies and things like that. Right. And I am five foot eight. So 
to be total transparency with it, I was in the quote unquote healthy BMI this entire time, but I was always trying to lose like those five or 10 pounds, trying to get off that last bit of baby weight or get back to where I was, you know, five or 10 years prior. So I did try, you know, I tried calorie counting a number of times. I did low carb, I think more than once. Like you, I just love the idea of that one and kind of kept coming back right. to it, but neither one was sustainable for me. You know, it was like, maybe I would lose the five or 10 pounds I was trying to lose, but I would always get derailed by something. And then I would just go right back to eating the way I had been before and gain it all right back, which since it was only 10 pounds or so wasn't devastating. I would just kind of shrug my shoulders and go, yeah. And then not well, worry yeah, about that's it again. What it is, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. For a while, then it would you would try again. That's <laughs> so yeah, you had like, like a, maybe a ten pound yo yo. Yeah, exactly. You know how that happens, though. It goes up more than it comes down, and then it goes up a little more, and it comes down a little less. So was just slowly right. gaining over the years, which I know is typical and common, but. The first time I ever heard of fasting was, I think, around 2007. I read a book Uh called The QOD Diet, Eating Well Every Other Day. I had that book. You did? I had that one. The QOD. That was one of the first ones I read as well. Yep. I can still picture it in my head. I have it on my shelf somewhere. Yeah. Okay. I think I just checked it out of the library or something. Okay. But yeah, yeah. Did you, how was your experience with that? Well, it was very much a, this works because you're eating fewer calories kind of a book. You know, it was completely based on that and it was counting the calories and, you know, eating the, was it 500 calories a day? It was actually three or 400. And I know this just because I bought it recently so I could look back and kind of skim it. But yeah. I felt like it was something a little different than what like Veriday said in the every other day diet or Dr. Johnson had an alternate daily fasting book. But, you know, I was reading everything because just like you and anyone who's tried to diet, trying to do it every day was just so hard, trying to diet every day. So I loved the idea that there would be a hard day. 300 to 500 calories was hard. And of course, we weren't fasting clean. We were trying to divide it up throughout the day, like little tiny salads or something, Mm -hmm. which was harder than actually fasting would have been. And did you like take all the potassium pills and drink the tomato juice and the locale drinkable yogurt and all that that other stuff? Yeah. (laughs) I forgot. No, no. (laughs) (laughs) See, I actually did all that. I remember it being wacky, just a little bit wacky. But it, it's still, though, like I said, it sounded like such a relief versus, well, I could drop diet every day or I could hardcore diet every other day and not really like those days. But the other days will be great. But you did it. You did it like they said. I did it. I Yes, I kept detailed records every, you know, milligram of sodium that I ingested and all of that. So I did that, I think, for maybe about two months. And it worked really well as far as the weight loss. But it really wasn't, again, not sustainable. And it wasn't even presented as a long-term lifestyle. It was presented as a short-term diet. And right. I just got to the point where I dreaded those down days. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm close enough. I'm good. And I just came off of it. But 
even though I was, you know, kind of miserable, I think because, you know, it wasn't clean fasting. You were, like you said, eating little bits throughout the day. Even though I was a little miserable on it, it was surprising to me just that I could do it at all because I had always thought that I couldn't do any kind of fasting type approach at all just because my blood sugar regulation has always been kind of wacky. I don't have a diagnosis or anything, but my mom remembers as a toddler, if she gave me something sweet on an empty stomach, I would have a tantrum like invariably. And as a child, I would actually get up in the middle of the night every night for years and eat a bowl of cereal and go back to bed because I would wake up hungry and like couldn't even make it the full eight hours. And like when I was pregnant, I flunked the glucose tolerance test badly every single time. Do you remember that? It's like they give you that drink and then an hour later they check your blood sugar. And mine was always sky high. So they would always send me for the three-hour glucose tolerance test where you drink the drink and then they check your blood sugar at one, two, and three hours. And mine was always sky high at one hour kind of normal, I think at two hours. And then it was always really low by three hours. Like I remember right. at least once it was in the forties. So I w- just thought, oh, I'm just not a person who can fast. Like I'm just one of these people. I need to eat small meals throughout the day, you know, every few hours. So I was shocked that I could even do it at all. So at least that was an encouragement. And later on, I heard about intermittent fasting a daily window eating approach. And I, like you, I dabbled in that more than once. I really liked the idea of it, but again, it didn't really stick. I wasn't fasting clean. I didn't know at the time how important that was. And I don't think I ever tried a window shorter than eight hours because I didn't even know that was like a thing. I think when I first heard of it, it was pretty much just presented as, you know, you eat for eight hours and you fast for 16 hours. So it wasn't enough to get the results. Did you read like the eight-hour diet? The eight-hour diet was out like probably around then? Uh, I didn't actually read a book. I don't remember even honestly anymore where I heard about it. If it was like online or a magazine article or something, but I I didn't delve deep enough into it. I just heard about it and it sounded so simple. I didn't think I needed to read a book. I was just like, oh, okay. You know, you don't eat for 16 hours, but I think I did hear somewhere like, oh, it's okay to have cream in your coffee. It's okay to have flavored water, things like that. So I definitely wasn't fasting clean back then when I did that. And I don't even know what year that was. It might've been 2010 or later. We all face stress in our daily lives. What if the answer to a better stress response is in one key nutrient? I'm talking about magnesium and specifically magnesium breakthrough by by optimizers. This one-of-a-kind product is designed to reverse low levels of magnesium, which could have a positive effect on our stress response. But don't take my word for it. Here's a quote from a 2020 issue of the scientific journal Nutrients. Results suggest that stress could increase magnesium loss, causing a deficiency. And, in turn, magnesium deficiency could enhance the body's susceptibility to stress, resulting in a magnesium and stress vicious circle. I only recommend Magnesium Breakthrough by by Optimizers. It's the only organic full-spectrum magnesium supplement that includes seven unique forms of magnesium for stress resilience and better sleep. Simply go to bioptimizers.com slash ifstories 
promo code IFSTORIES10 to get your magnesium breakthrough and find out this month's gift with purchase. That's bioptimizers.com slash IFSTORIES, promo code IFSTORIES10. If you've been listening to my podcast for a while, you know what a fan I am of Dr. Tim Spector and the work he's doing with Zoe. I was first introduced to his work in 2015, and I've been following his research ever since. What I love most about the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast is that they have weekly interviews with world-leading experts who explain how their latest research can benefit your health. Recently, I was thrilled to finally meet him face-to-face as we recorded an episode for the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast, and this episode aired on on April 11th. We had a chance to talk about the world's biggest intermittent fasting study, and I had the opportunity to explain the clean fast to Jonathan, which may explain why he didn't enjoy his prior experiences with fasting. Search for Zoe Science and Nutrition on your podcast player or on YouTube to hear the latest episode, and don't forget to look for the April 11th episode to hear me, Tim, and Jonathan talk about the world's biggest intermittent fasting study. I was going to guess around 2012, maybe, because that's might be when the the 8-Hour Diet came out and everyone was talking about it. Yeah. When that diet book was released. I can't remember. Somewhere around in there. But you're right. That was really harder. All those dabbling years. You and I were dabbling at the same time. Uh (laughs) And the fact that we both read the QOD diet, I don't think it was very widely read. I don't (laughs) think so either because I tried to check it out at the library just recently, just like thinking about the podcast. And I thought, oh, it'd be fun to go back and read that. They didn't have it at the library. I could hardly find it anywhere. I ended up buying a used copy somewhere off the, off yeah. the internet. But I was buying them up. <laughs> I know. We, the, the interesting thing is we, we knew at the time, I knew it had to work. It had to work. It couldn't be this hard. But the, the secret was the clean fast and took us a while to get there. So, Well, <laughs> and the QOD we diet also was written by a nephrologist. I don't know if you remember that, but... Just like I he didn't was a nephrologist, that, just no. like Dr. Fung. Yeah, so that gave a lot of credibility in my mind, too, even though I, I wasn't even in medicine at the time. But that was one of the reasons I was attracted to that. But yeah, that's just so funny that you... I should have known, though, because you have said in the past that you've tried basically every diet known to man, right? So I shouldn't be surprised. That- yeah. And if it was about fasting... Anything that was put out that was an intermittent fasting kind of plan, whether we're talking about Brad Pilon's Eat, Stop, Eat, Ori Hoffmeckler's The Warrior Diet. I mean, I read all of those mm-hmm. <laughs> back in the day in those years from 2009-ish till – and it might have even been – more like 2008 when I read QOD. I'm not sure, but I can remember being at a restaurant with friends and it was a down day. And I'm like, well, I'm just going to get plain green salad with just <laughs> vinegar. And then like halfway through the meal, I was like, no, I'm ordering a meal. And I was just like, I think that was when I gave up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Forget it. Yeah, that sounds familiar. <laughs> so it's no wonder that you thought it would be hard because what you had done before was hard. It was hard to do right. that QOD diet. It was hard, you know, when you're not fasting clean. So what what did you do differently in 2020 when you found at that time? I guess I'll just back up just a teeny bit and say that it wasn't really okay. until I was in my late 40s that my weight kind of started to get a little more out of hand. Weight gain just accelerated a little bit and I found myself living in the 150s. And then the pandemic hit, which of course was the crazy time for everyone, was especially crazy for me just as somebody who was immune compromised. 
because of my health condition. And also I was taking two immunosuppressive drugs at the time to help control my rheumatoid arthritis while working in the hospital as a PA on the team that was admitting COVID patients and taking care of COVID patients every day. So that was super stressful because at that time I had no idea, nobody had any idea what level of risk I was at. If I were to catch COVID, did I have like a one, 2% chance of mortality, you know, of, of dying from it? Did I have a 10% chance? Did I have like a 40% chance? Like we really didn't know. So it was incredibly stressful. And my employer actually let me work from home for a while, which is really unusual in my field. And obviously I couldn't really do my job very effectively, but they let me do what I was able to from home. But anyway, so that was a crazy time. And I started eating for entertainment even more than I probably ever had in the past. And I think the whole family was eating for entertainment. Everybody was home. My college age kids were home and nobody could really go out and do anything. So it was really exciting when I would put on my respirator and go to the grocery store and come back with all kinds of goodies. And it was like, what are we going to eat for dessert today? So my diet, which had never been amazing, definitely got worse during that time. And by summer, I wasn't quite as stressed. I was back at work by that time, but I started noticing some changes in my body by summertime when I pulled out all my summer dresses that I like to wear because they're cool and comfortable. I noticed that not only did some of them not fit, but I just started to notice some strange body sensations that I'd never experienced before. I noticed that my belly would jiggle, like when I would drive over a pothole. Oh, I get or that. Step down a step. Yeah. I noticed the tops of my thighs were like touching and rubbing together when I would walk. And I had never really experienced any of those sensations before. And I, I tried to ignore them. I didn't think I could lose the weight anyway. And so I just tried to be okay with it. I told myself, like, hey, you're middle-aged. This is what happens. It's a normal part of aging. I tried to use body positive kind of thinking, but every time I would feel that jiggle or those thighs rubbing together, it was like, I could not ignore it. I could get my mind okay with being the weight I was, but I couldn't ignore those sensations. It was like setting off some kind of alarm bells in some primal part of my brain or something telling me like, this is not feel right this is not good. So for some people, it's a photo that finally gets them to really make that change for good. For me, it was actually those physical sensations that I was unable to rationalize around or or ignore. So I decided, okay. You didn't feel good in your body, right? No, I didn't feel like yourself. Right. Yeah. It was just this really weird, like subconscious thing that I could not ignore. And it would like dozens of times a day, it would happen. And every time it just took me to this weird place where I thought this is not right. This is not right. It was like in a movie where somebody presses the, you know, self-destruct button or woo woo. It was like those alarms were going off in the back of my mind. Like this is not right. Something is not right here. So I finally decided, okay, I'm going to try one more time. And I wasn't very optimistic about my chances of success, but I was like, okay, I'm going to try this. So I weighed myself, which I had never really done on a regular basis. I finally stepped on the scale and it was 159 the day I stepped on, which again, 
that's still technically in a healthy BMI range for my height. But I can tell you, it's definitely not optimally healthy for me. I have a fairly small frame. And more importantly, most of that weight was like abdominal weight and probably quite a bit of visceral weight. So really unhealthy. So I decided, okay, I'm going to try one more time. I kind of thought about it for a little while. Like, what should I try? Should I try calorie counting? Should I do low carb? Should I try that crazy fasting thing again? And I settled on fasting just because it was the diet where basically where I remember being the least miserable of the diets that I had been on. I wanted this time to be different though. And I knew a temporary diet was not going to do it. I was going to have to actually commit to a lifestyle change long-term. I couldn't be starting and stopping. I didn't want to do that roller coaster. Yeah. Did not want to do that anymore. So I kind of just made a promise to myself. I thought this time, if at any point I catch myself thinking, Ooh, I can't wait until this is over, or I can't wait until I can eat normally again. If I caught myself thinking that I would just stop fasting immediately because there was no point in just doing it for a few months, losing the weight and then gaining it all again. So I just kind of tried to change my mindset that way. I still thought it was going to be really hard. I didn't expect to succeed, really. (laughs) I think if you had asked me, like, "Mm, you know, what percent chance do you think you're actually going to stick to this for life? I probably would have said, oh, maybe 20% or so. Like, I really did not have a very positive mindset about it at all. But I did decide that, you know, I was going to either be all in all out. So on July 9th of 2020, I started with seven to eight hour windows, basically most days, except on days when I worked, I would do OMAD or one meal a day because I was so busy at work that it made it really easy to do OMAD on those days. So I work part-time. So that means And when I work, I work longer shifts. So that means I was only doing OMAD maybe two or three days a week. And the other days I was doing seven to eight hour windows. So I did start losing some weight right away, but it was slow. But I wasn't really concerned about that because to my great surprise and delight, I found that I was not miserable doing the fasting. My mindset had shifted I was feeling very positive about the whole thing. And it was such a different feeling because this time I wasn't just like desperately trying to get the results I wanted. I was actually enjoying the process of the fasting itself as well as liking the results. So that was just such a refreshing change for me. That's huge. That's a really big change. Can I ask, what did you do to prepare then at that time in July of 2020? Did, what did you read? What did you listen to? Like, were you fasting clean at that time? So I think I started fasting clean this time pretty much from the beginning. And I can't remember the exact sequence, but I know that quite early on, I read the obesity code. Okay. And, you know, that's not necessarily 100% clean fast from what I remember that he, he advocates, he's a little more permissive, I guess, (laughs) if you would say, than 
your way of thinking. I think that was one of the first things that I read, but then I did get into my podcast app and I searched for intermittent fasting. And of course you popped up, pop result, your podcast with Melanie. So I started listening to that pretty early on too. And I'm sure you were emphasizing the importance of clean fasting. So yeah, I think I did fast clean pretty much from the beginning this time. All right. I just wanted to contrast what made it different from before when it was hard. So I was hoping that was what it was. (laughs) Yeah, I think that was the main difference besides just my mindset was the fasting clean. Yeah. I also started to like read some scientific journal articles on fasting, especially related to inflammation, since that was another reason that I was doing it. So, so I was taking in a lot of good information. The obesity code was especially impactful to me early on, just because as a person who, you know, by this time I was working in medicine and I was like, oh, duh, like why? <laughs> I knew a lot of this stuff. From my PA school, I knew a lot about you know insulin's effects on the body, but I had just never really put it all together or had anybody else put it all together for me. I knew that type 1 diabetics or any insulin-dependent diabetic, that if they don't take their insulin, they will lose weight. Obviously, that's very dangerous and you should never do that on purpose, but I knew that and yet it had never occurred to me the idea of reducing your insulin levels naturally by fasting. So that was a real light bulb for me, for sure. Good. I'm glad. Me too. When I read the obesity code, because again, going all the way back to the earliest stuff we had read, you know, the QOD diet, the eight hour diet, all those books and all the things about fasting, they all talked about fasting is a way to lower your calorie intake Mm -hmm. one day a week or every other day or twice a week or just in your eating window. And it wasn't until reading the obesity code that I was like, okay, it's a lot more complicated than that. And it also helped, I think, that probably you as well. We had a lot of background in reading about low-carb diets and the insulin hypothesis of the low-carb diets. You know, they put that out there. But then when you're thinking about it through the the lens of fasting, you're like, oh, (laughs) okay. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Just another indicator of my different mindset was that I also decided to take a before picture this time, which I had never done before. I think by this time I was feeling this was something I was actually going to be able to stick with. So I wanted to document my results in some ways. So I knew I didn't have a ton of weight to lose. I was aiming for, I thought, maybe 20 pounds or so. So I thought, well, I'm really going to have to you know, take a before picture that's actually going to show my body. So I got into the back of my closet and got out like some tiny bikini that I hadn't worn in years. And I put that on and took like a mirror selfie with that, which was, that was painful. Like that was kind of a moment of truth. (laughs) So I took that and (laughs) then I just went on my merry way. And I will say I was very flexible with my fasting schedule from the very beginning. I know some people like a more structured approach for me, the flexibility was key as far as just making it sustainable and enjoyable for me. So I Like you, I track my eating windows rather than my fasting windows. I just find that easier, just lower numbers to count to. 
and I don't use an app or anything. So it's just easier for me to glance at my watch when I start eating and glance at my watch again when I close my window. And my eating window has always varied quite a bit, anywhere from two to eight hours on a given day, just depending on you know what I'm doing on that day. I also have done some longer fasts. Not recently, I really want to get back to that, but I've done some 36, 48, 50 some hour fasts, uh, maybe up to 70 was like the longest I ever did. So I would throw those in there occasionally too. And when I got close to my goal, probably like the last five pounds or so, I did alternate daily fasting. All right. So you did like an ADF kind of a pattern. Like was it, did you do a four, three or like a every other day? Probably more like a four, three, just because life would always get in the way. But I was flexible with that. Even, you know, I would, if I had to do two up days in a row so that I didn't have to not eat at some special occasion, I would do that. But I, I was probably getting at least two, maybe three down days in per week at that time. Yeah. So that was helpful for sure when I would hit a plateau near the end there. Yeah. And they were so much easier than that crazy QOD diet, right? So much yes. Easier. <laughs> yes. They definitely were easier. And I, I did a mix actually of the full down day where you, you know, don't eat at all for like 36 hours or so. And then I also did some of the alternate day modified fasting where you eat the 500 right. calorie meal, which psychologically, the 500 calorie meal was probably harder for me than just not eating at all. But I really like being able to sit down with my family and have like a normal dinner right. time. And I also can I pop something in there? Yeah, I don't, sure. I, that QO day diet, it found, sounds like I was knocking it or something, but he was really ahead of his time. Oh, you know, absolutely. So I'm not criticizing. <laughs> I'm actually grateful that that book was part of my journey. I'm definitely not knocking it, but it was harder <laughs> than just fasting clean. That's what I, all I'm trying to say there. I don't want it to sound like I'm knocking him because that was a part of my journey as well. And he was, like I said, ahead of his time. So yeah, same. So tell me about your inflammation. I know that your one of your main goals was reducing inflammation and in, you know your autoimmune disease, your rheumatoid arthritis. Tell me about about how that's gone. Yeah, so I have gotten some good results from that. Although I would say it's maybe not quite as awesome as I was hoping for. What I've found, Jen, is that I have a noticeable reduction in joint pain and inflammation when I am fasting really hard. So if I'm doing alternate day fasting, or if I'm having a lot of really short windows in a row and really getting into ketosis really heavily, if I do that for, you know, a few days, then I'll start to notice an improvement in my inflammation, but it has to be pretty intense fasting. And that's, I don't always want to just keep that up indefinitely, plus my weight has a tendency to maybe even drift too low. If I do that, I've gotten down to as low as 129, which is still in a healthy range for five foot eight, but was starting to feel maybe a little lower than ideal for me. Plus I was just really hungry. So I have had to kind of balance that out a little bit, but I still think it's helpful. I mean, for somebody who has joint pain, even just getting the 20 pounds off 
has helped just, you know, not having as much load on my weight bearing joints. So it definitely has helped, but it hasn't been like the magic pill to make my RA go away or anything, which I I wasn't expecting that. I knew it probably wasn't going to quote unquote cure me, but it has been helpful from that regard. And my rheumatologist, when I talked to him about it, he was kind of skeptical. He was like, well, I don't know, you can try it. But he's like, I don't know if I buy all of that fasting helps with inflammation, (laughs) but he's like, you know, if you lose a few pounds, like that's good. So he's not necessarily completely bought in, but I am bought in. I just think for me and for the level of disease activity that I have, I have to fast really hard to see those benefits. But the medications I'm on also help me. So I'm pretty well controlled anyway, even without the fasting. The fasting is just like the icing on the cake. And if I get into a flare or something where my joints are really bad, it's nice to know that I can just go on an alternate day fasting diet and that would probably help with that. So it's just like a tool that I have in my toolbox for for my health. Well, that's good. Have you ever tweaked your food choices to see if that makes a difference with your inflammation? Yeah. So I have, it took me a long time to get around to doing that. I was kind of one of those, I'm going to fast, but eat everything in my window type people for a long time. And I don't want to give the impression that I have a terrible diet. I don't, I eat a lot of really healthy food, but I also do like my sweets. So I kind of do both. And I did like a whole foods only diet for at least a month, pretty strictly. So I tried that. And then actually the last three weeks, I have been uh, experimenting with being a eating vegan. So I've been trying that as well. And I didn't notice a huge change, honestly, with either of those. I think I probably felt maybe just a little bit better, but nothing dramatic. So right now, as I'm just coming to the end of my my vegan experiment time, I'm I need to spend a little time thinking about how do I want to put this all together? How do I want to eat going forward? And I haven't really haven't right. completely decided that yet. Can I pop in oh, yeah, sure. something there? The thing that I've learned from Melanie, I know you listen to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast, is that foods that are inflammatory for one person may not, like there are foods that you could eat on a vegan diet, for example, that might be inflammatory for your body that you that are like, quote, healthy foods. That's the thing. Have you ever tried an elimination protocol? I know Whole30 is probably the most famous, but do you know JJ Virgin's The Virgin Diet? Have you ever heard of that one? I don't. I have tried elimination protocol diets in the past, though, but okay, for a totally different reason, though. <laughs> but right. I'm not familiar with that one, though. J.J. Virgin, her book, of course, I bought it and read it and tried it back in the day. I didn't lose weight on it, but really it was an elimination protocol. And I was also in the period of my time when I was just really struggling with, I mean, I wasn't doing intermittent fasting, but it's a very solid elimination protocol to try, you know, because she has, her, you know, the ideas that these are the foods that might be inflammatory for you. And and so you eliminate them and then see what happens. So just, just something to think about, just because I know that from talking to Melanie, like I said, I can eat all the foods and 
yes, seed oils are inflammatory for me or if I eat a lot of ultra-processed foods. But there are whole foods that are inflammatory for some people, which is, you know, we don't want that to be the case. But, Mm -hmm. you know, based on, you know, your gut or just so many factors in our bodies. I just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah. And that could be something that I might revisit again in the future. I had done a strict elimination diet a number of years ago. One of my children is has autism spectrum disorder. And he and I both got tested for food sensitivities a number of years ago and did a really, really strict elimination diet. Super strict because we had to get it to intersect for the both of us, <laughs> eliminate right. all the foods that we were both sensitive to. So it was even quite a bit more strict, I think, than like Whole30 started with a list of maybe 20 total foods that you could eat, including like oils. So <laughs> very, very strict. And then you would gradually add them in. And I didn't at that time notice a tremendous difference. But again, I was really well controlled with my medications during that time. So I think it would have been harder to see. I think if I had been unmedicated and had been, you know, in a major flare or something like that, maybe I would have noticed more, more differences. Yeah, they're hard to do. An elimination protocol, I do not enjoy them because I don't want to eliminate. I want to have bread. I want to have butter. I want to have dairy. I like, you know, it's not something that I ever am like, I think I'll just do an elimination protocol. But I know that some people have found value in them. Just so I just wanted to pop that out there, but they are not easy. So I certainly acknowledge that. Yeah. So what are some of the other benefits you've seen, like some non-scale victories or even like I want to go back to that tiny bikini that you tried on that day in the closet? Oh, (laughs) well, (laughs) there's a story about that, actually. But yeah, some other non-scale victories. I have esophageal reflux, GERD, uh, reflux disease. I have what's called silent reflux. I don't actually get pain from it. But it had gotten bad enough to the point that I was getting occasional esophageal spasms, which are really, really unpleasant. And that's how I knew it had gotten pretty bad. And fasting, I think, has definitely helped with that. I still have some reflux. If you hear me clearing my throat, (laughs) that's why. But the esophageal spasms, those have been gone for good ever since I started fasting. So that's been really nice. At the risk of TMI, uh, I used to have vaginal yeast infections fairly often, and those have not appeared at all since I've been fasting. I think my blood sugar is just under so much better control now. I do like the mental clarity and alertness and productivity that a lot of people talk about. I especially notice it if I get a really poor night of sleep for some reason. As long as I fast, I still function really well, even after a night of bad sleep. I mean, I I still try to avoid that. But whereas if I would be eating during that time, I would just be a zombie. So that's really nice. And then I think, oh, yeah, yeah, it's been helpful with mood, too, I would say. That's something maybe I notice more when I'm fasting really heavy. Uh, Like I was saying, like, I notice more of a reduction of inflammation when I'm fasting more. Uh, I would say I also notice a really extra happy mood, maybe when I'm like deep, deep into ketosis. So yeah, there have been a lot of other benefits for sure. Well, that's good. Is there anything that you struggle with? Uh, Probably my, I would say my biggest struggle is leftovers. 
I was the main person in the house who would eat leftovers before. And now sometimes I just am not eating often enough to eat those up. So I hate throwing away leftovers. I've had to definitely adjust the way that I prepare food because I hate to waste food. So I have to be a lot more careful with the shopping and the meal planning. And I think another small struggle was early on in the maintenance kind of portion of my weight loss. I kind of hit a low and then I started going back up. And at first I was like, okay, this is great because I think I had gotten a little too low, but then it just was going up and up like past the point where I wanted to be. And I got a little bit back into the kind of diet mentality for a little while. So that, that was a little struggle. I've, I've evened out now and I'm maintaining in what I think is, is a healthy and happy range for me. But that was, I guess I expected maintenance to be easy and maintenance was actually at first, at least a little bit harder than I had thought. And I, I'm, I still have menopause ahead of me, so that's not a struggle yet, but I am a little nervous about how that's going to go. So we'll see if that becomes a struggle or not. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Well, thank you for sharing that about maintenance, because anyone who's ever dieted and lost weight and gained the weight back and yo-yoed over the years, maintenance is just something we really, really fear. But then you can think, okay, well, fasting is just going to be a breeze. I'm going to get to the weight and it'll be so easy. And then there might be like a little adjustment that you have to do. Like for me, when I got to maintenance, my body wasn't losing so much fat, I was hungrier. So you have to learn how to balance being hungrier and having the freedom to eat the foods that you want, but also keeping your eye on you know, what your body is doing. You don't want to obviously regain all the weight, but you do have to keep your eye on it. So what strategies, you just go back to the fasting windows, the eating windows that worked for you. Is that what you're doing? Exactly. Yeah. I just try to tighten up my windows a little more. And like I said, though, I'm very flexible day to day. So it's not a matter of saying, okay, I was doing a six hour window. So now I'm going to go to a four hour window. It's, I have to actually just kind of pay attention of how many shorter windows am I having per week, you know, or I can look at my food choices. Like 
as you know, we have a lot of tools in our toolbox as intermittent fasters. Exactly. So, yeah, I, I feel like it's definitely doable. It's just required a little bit more attention, I guess, than I thought it would at times. And I'm still weighing myself every day or almost every day. I would like to someday maybe get away from that, but I don't feel ready quite yet because I feel like that does keep me on track. So for now, I guess I'll keep doing that. Well, that makes sense. You've got to use the tool that feels right for you at the time. And I weighed the entire first year of maintenance until I really felt like I I knew what my body was doing. And then I was like, all right, I'm releasing this tool. (laughs) And it was the right time. And now, thank goodness, my pants tell me the truth. That helps a lot. (laughs) I know you're here sharing intermittent fasting with the world on the podcast, but do you share it in your daily life? Have you shared it with people that are close to you or even people like, you know, as you're in your job as a physician's assistant? I have shared it with people and I really like sharing it. Sometimes this may sound crazy, but sometimes I almost wish that I had come from a higher weight. I wish I had lost more weight just so the transformation would have been more outwardly visible and maybe more people would have asked me about it just because I would love an opportunity to share more with people without being pushy. You know, I don't want to be the one to bring it, obviously, except with people who are very, very close to me. But yeah, I have shared it. I mean, of course, the person who's closest to me, my husband, he actually has been fasting now for a while, which is crazy because he, this man has never dieted like a day in his life. So I never expected that to happen, but he watched me fast from, you know, July through December of 2020, when I was like actively losing weight, he just kind of watched me. And I think he was really surprised to see how not only how well it was working for me, but also how contented I was during that time. And, you know, not cranky and hangry and, complaining all the time, like I probably was on previous diets. So he started doing it with me around December and he started with just like two meals a day. So maybe like an eight hour window. And then he found that was not difficult at all. So he started adding some OMAD days with me. So yeah, we, we fast together now and he's lost about 15 pounds. He'd love to lose another five. I mean, he's already in the healthy weight range, but he'd love to get a little bit lower, but he enjoys it too. And it's really great to have that support. You know, we'll kind of check in in the morning, usually like, Hmm, all right. Are you going to eat lunch today? (laughs) Or are we fasting all the way till dinner? And we don't always do the same thing, but often we like to sync it up. It's just nice to know that you have somebody else doing it with you. So he's a big one. And then I've, yeah, I've shared it with several other people. I am in a, a small group with a good friend who was diagnosed with type two diabetes about a year ago. And I actually bought and gave her a copy of the diabetes code, which I hadn't read, but I figured the obesity code was so great. So I figured the diabetes code had to be good too. So I bought it and I kind of read it real quick before I gave it to her and wrote a little note just saying, basically, I hope I'm not overstepping my bounds by giving you this book, but I've seen so many diabetics in my work who have, you know, just been down a really difficult path. And I would 
love it if this book would help you in some way. And if not, it's fine. Feel free to, you know, donate it or get rid of it. But I just basically just, I hope this helps you. And she read it and man, she took that to heart. She started fasting right away and hit it hard. And she basically, by the time she had her next doctor's appointment and they rechecked her A1C, she basically reversed her diabetes. So she was on medication for like three months and then she reversed her diabetes and was off it, you know, just like that. And her physician, of course, was super impressed. So that was really cool to see. And yeah, other people too. (laughs) My best friend from childhood, we were actually meeting up for lunch one day and this was pretty early on for me. I was drinking like a little shot of diluted apple cider vinegar before every meal, just because that's something that's like mentioned as a recommendation in the diabetes code. So I was at that time, I was still really gung ho about it. So I even took my little shot of apple cider vinegar to the restaurant and I drank it before the meal and I was like, Oh, don't mind me. I'm just doing this crazy thing. You know how you kind of try to downplay it when it's new and you're not sure if it's going to work. I was like, Oh, I'm just doing this thing, you know, blood sugar regulation, whatever. And she was like, Oh, like I've used apple cider vinegar in the past. And I was like, Oh yeah, I'm doing this crazy intermittent fasting thing too. And she was like, I'm doing intermittent fasting. So I had been doing it for a month and she had been doing it for like two months and we hadn't talked about it. She had heard about it on Facebook. And so that was just really fun to find out that we had both been fasting, but hadn't necessarily announced it to a lot of people yet. So that was fun moment. So we also support each other with that. And I actually gave her my fat clothes to store for me. Like maybe I shouldn't call them fat clothes, but the clothes that you know, were too big for me now. I gave those to her to store because she has storage space and I wanted to kind of get them out of the house. But on the other hand, I'm a planner and so I was not sure if I wanted to actually donate them just yet. So she is babysitting my two big clothes and I should probably tell her to just go ahead and donate them because I'm I don't think I'll need them. Because you're not going to need them. Yeah, hopefully not. So I want to hear the tiny bikini story. (laughs) Yeah, so... Like I said, that was my before picture. And once I had lost the weight, lost like the 25 pounds or so, I did take an after picture. And that was fun just to have. But I, I'm i not really on social media. And I certainly wouldn't be posting pictures, of bikini pictures of myself on Facebook anyway, even if I were. But I kind of just like, I was proud of, you know, what I had done. So I kind of wanted to get it out there in some way. And I had been on like an online fasting forum where I would just, you know, occasionally peruse or get ideas or look at people's stories. And people would sometimes post before and after pictures on there. And it was more of an anonymous type thing. So I was like, oh, I'm just going to post my before and after picture on here and just see what, just for fun since I was too embarrassed to like pull them out and show them to people in real life. So I blurred out my face in both the before and after, and I just like stitched them, put them side by side and I posted it. And I was shocked because I got like, like literally thousands of likes and hundreds of comments. And it was just like kind of a crazy day when my phone was just like dinging all day with people saying like, Oh my gosh, how old are you? I can't believe, you know, how great you look. So that was really fun. So even though I, I never showed those to anybody in real life, I got 
accolades from a bunch of internet strangers for whatever that's worth. But yeah, it was just a fun. That's fun. And I have actually worn that swimsuit since I actually wore it once. So maybe never again, I might just be too old for it now. But (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'd tried, you know, and with the bikini for me, but you know, I've had two babies and my skin, my skin never bounced back anyway. Like I was the person who had stretch marks at puberty kind of a thing. So that's just the way my skin is. And so I was like, you know what, I I would love to be the person (laughs) in the bikini, but I'll wear a high waist, like I'll have like a a bathing suit bottom that's high-waisted, high-waist two-piece. So I can do that. Yeah. But a a bikini that's low-waist, uh-uh. I got to be able to tuck some stuff in. (laughs) Yeah. Well, the high-waisted ones are really, really stylish right now, actually. Well, and they're so flattering, so much more flattering. So that's what I can do. I can do that. (laughs) But a regular bikini, uh uh-uh. No, I have to stand up very straight, you know. I I will say that. Like, I got to keep my posture good. I get it. Yeah. When you lean over, you're like, no, my belly's a little different when I lean <laughs> oh, over dear. and bend. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, well, I've had three babies too. And so I know, I know how that goes. It definitely, some permanent changes there. Yeah. And it, it is what it is. And that's okay. You know? Right. Yeah. And you got to just <laughs> accept that. I actually like one thing that I don't think I heard this on your podcast. I think it was on another podcast, but where they said that body positive thinking does not mean thinking that your body looks good. It means believing that your body is good regardless of how it looks. Oh, I love that. And that's, yeah. That I is that huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and not being self-conscious about it because it's your body. It is your body and, right. and loving your body. Yeah. I love that. I, that. That's a great way of putting it. And it it does such amazing things for us. So, yeah. Oh, I did want to touch on, because you did ask if I share intermittent fasting in my professional life. Yeah, I would say professionally, I don't share intermittent fasting nearly as much as I would kind of like to. I would love to be able to share it more with patients. But because I work in the hospital, I'm seeing patients who are admitted to the hospital for usually, you know, fairly serious issues that are acute, not, you know, for metabolic syndrome or something like that. Their weight may have well contributed to what ends up landing them in the hospital, but that's like kind of way upstream. So if I see somebody who maybe has had metabolic syndrome for years and developed type two diabetes, which for whatever reason, wasn't well controlled, maybe they developed a diabetic foot infection, which progressed to the bone. And then I end up admitting them for IV antibiotics and let's say a possible amputation when I'm discharging that patient, I don't know, I feel like they may not particularly want to hear from me about how <laughs> how to lose weight through fasting. If I were in primary care, seeing patients on a regular basis, like developing that relationship and being able to work on their health more on a preventive level, I would love to do that. But that doesn't happen to be the space that I'm working in right now. So that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have a lot of opportunities. I wonder if it would help to reframe it instead of like approaching it as a conversation of here's how you can lose weight. Maybe frame it in a conversation of here's a a way to live that's really healthy for someone 
who's working with your health conditions. I don't know. That. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that would help make it be better received, perhaps. I don't know. Yeah. If anybody asked me about it, I would certainly be more than happy to right. share it in my professional life. But it just doesn't tend to come up, I guess, a lot because I am in the hospital. That makes sense. Well, we are almost out of time. What would you tell someone just starting out with intermittent fasting or what do you wish you knew when you first started? Man, I feel like all of your guests I've listened to have given such great advice. So I don't really think I have anything new to add to that. But just to echo some things that other people have said, I would say it's important to be consistent with the fasting, by which I mean fast every day, even if it's only for, you know, 12 hours or whatever, but also being flexible and forgiving is really important. So yeah, don't let it prevent you from doing things that you want to do. If you want to break your fast early to have lunch or creamy coffee with a friend, that's absolutely fine. But then just go back to it the next day. As you know, the benefits build up over time. So you just have to kind of be patient with it and stick with it. And it does get easier. But I would say that, like, you know, fasting is a muscle. And as you work at it, it gets easier. But for me, at least, it's never 100% easy. Like, right. There's still going to be some days where you're, you know, in the kitchen and thinking, hmm, do I want to break my fast now? Or do I want to wait another few hours? So, And I still notice this after I go on a vacation or something. Let's say I'm having longer eating windows for like a week or something because I'm on vacation. Then when I come back home, I kind of have to like work out that fasting muscle a little bit again. It gets a little flabby sometimes while I'm on vacation. And yeah. And, you know, what you said, Kim, is so important. And it sounds like a contradiction. You said be consistent be flexible. But really, the sweet spot is finding the perfect balance of consistency and flexibility. You can be too consistent and have a miserable experience, or you can be too flexible and it won't work. But Mm -hmm. blending together consistency with flexibility is really the magic that makes it into a lifestyle. And we can't tell anybody, here's exactly what it looks like to be flexibly consistent. (laughs) Right. But, But it really, that is where the magic is. Yeah, it's something everybody has to figure out for you know him or herself or for themselves. Well, Kim, thank you so much for being here and telling your story today. You're welcome, Jen. Thank you so much for having me. It was really a thrill after listening to you for so long. It was great to meet you and get you all to myself for an hour. Do you have an intermittent fasting story to tell? Email me at jen at intermittentfastingstories.com and I'll add you to the lineup. That's G-I-N at intermittentfastingstories.com. The world wants to hear your story. That's it for today. Remember, I may have a doctorate, but I'm not a medical doctor. So don't use anything you hear on this podcast as a substitute for medical advice. Please always check with your doctor or healthcare provider if you have medical questions. I'll talk to you next week, Fasting Family, where we will hear another inspiring story. Have a great week and fast on. Intermittent Fasting Stories is edited, mixed, and mastered by Resonate Recordings. To learn more, visit them at ResonateRecordings.com or email them at hello 
at ResonateRecordings.com. Intermittent Fasting Stories listeners will receive a free offer if you mention that you heard it on the podcast. I'm Shimol Yai, and I have a new podcast called The Competition. Every year, 50 high school senior girls compete in a massive scholarship competition. I wouldn't say I have an ego problem, but I'm extremely competitive. All of the competitors are used to being the best and the brightest, and they're all vying for a huge cash prize. This will probably be the most intense that you've ever gone through in your life. I remember that feeling because I was one of them. I lost. But now I'm coming back as a judge and also a kind of teen girl anthropologist. Because if you want to understand what it's like to be a young woman in America today, the competition's not a bad place to start. Hopefully no one will die on station night. From Pineapple Street Studios and Wondery, this is The Competition. Follow The Competition on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to The Competition early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.